All right. Well, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and grab your seats. And as you grab your seats, if you'd like to grab one of the Bibles there in front of you, or if you have your Bible, you can grab your Bible. We're going to actually be in two different parts of Scripture this evening. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. Irwin's back, everybody. <laughs> uh, and Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians, we'll be in chapter 2. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So here's what it says. This is the word of the Lord. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown... Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the reading of God's word, amen. Ah, uh, you know, I was so excited about uh, preaching this message, I forgot to get my mic. That's odd, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but uh, I'm going to use a handheld mic, and uh, we'll go with that for this message. And I hope you have your Bibles open, so if you... Uh, accidentally or inadvertently closed it. If you could open it back up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will want to be in your Bible. And if there are, like, if you're seeing anybody that doesn't have a Bible open, and if you're online watching this and your Bible is not open, let me stop right now. Get a Bible, please. You need your Bible open. We are a people that preach, believe, love God's Word. And you need to have this in front of you and let the living Word of God do its job. So if, uh, if you could get a Bible, please open it up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. But I'm actually going to begin, and you do not need to turn there. You'll see it on the screen. I'm going to begin with Ecclesiastes 7. Because in Ecclesiastes 7, and by the way, I just did a funeral this morning at Forks Cemetery for an incredibly godly lady whom probably none of you know. She wasn't from our church, not for the last 25 years, but she was a godly woman, and it was a true pleasure to do this 80-year-old woman's funeral as she is with our Lord now. And I mentioned this verse this morning. So Ecclesiastes 7 gives us a goldmine of wisdom. And I want to dig it up for you right now. Here's what Ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 says as we get ready for this message. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. So Solomon is telling you and he's telling me it's better to go to a funeral than it is to a wedding. That seems so weird. It's better to go to a funeral than it is to a birthday party if you want to gain wisdom. I know that sounds wrong, but Solomon insists that it's true. You go to a funeral and you lay it to heart, meaning that you reflect on your future so that you stop and pause and consider your present. 
So you reflect on your future. So we're going to do that right now. So I want everybody that is watching this to just look at me for a moment. All I'm asking you to do is just listen to the question I'm about to ask you and seriously listen to it. So I'm waiting for eyes to get up here. I still see some that aren't looking at me. When your earthly life is over, what is going to happen to you? When your earthly life is over, what is going to happen to you? See, to lay it to heart right now means that you seriously consider that. And you ask yourself a question, what will be the eternal destiny of my resurrected body? Every body is going to be raised from the grave. Everybody will. And you're only going to have two possibilities for your destiny. You will either experience and enjoy eternity with Jesus. Here's your only other option or you will experience eternity separated from Jesus. And your eternal destination will be a consequence of what you believed while you were alive on earth. But your eternal compensation, your reward, will be a consequence of how you lived on earth. And I'm gonna say that again so that we can clear up any confusion whatsoever. Where you go when your earthly life is over, either heaven or hell, will be a consequence of what you believed while on earth. And if you go into heaven, if you are brought into your eternal dwelling with Jesus, then your eternal compensation, your reward will be a consequence of how you lived on earth. And the answer to which destination will be yours is, is whether in this life you believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or not. Did you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Did the Father adopt you as his child? Did the Spirit of God dwell in you as a result of your faith? See, this is salvation, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You cannot earn your salvation. You do not deserve your salvation, neither do I. And this is not your own doing. You cannot do anything by way of performance to be saved. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, now look at that screen. Because the very next verse is where we are going in this series called The Crowned. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So I want you to lay it to heart, Ecclesiastes 7.2, and I want you to reflect, what will be my reward when I stand before Jesus. That's assuming that you believe in him. That's assuming that you have faith in Jesus, that you're trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you have a relationship with the Father in heaven through the Son. What will be your reward when you stand before Jesus? 
Now, watch this, because there's a lot of Christians that have such a problem with being motivated by your eternal rewards. That just doesn't seem right, they say. Well, let me give you four examples of this motivation that ought to be coming into your heart, even right now as I speak, for your eternal rewards. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Here it is, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. So work heartily. Hebrews 11, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, listen, and that he rewards those who seek him. Jesus himself says in Matthew 16, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This, is, this doesn't mean you can be saved through what you do. That is by faith in Jesus alone. Jesus is talking about reward. Isaiah 40, let's go to the Old Testament. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So what will be your reward, Christian brother and sister, when you stand before Jesus? Are you motivated by that? Well, I believe you should be. I want you to go all the way back to 1985, and I'm going to give you a glimpse of what happened in my own life. I was at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. I had walked far from God. I had been caught up in drinking, caught up in partying, caught up in living life for me and not for God. When I sat in a chapel message given by Dr. Jerry Falwell and he talked the entire message about the rewards that believers will have and it changed my life from that day forward. This was the message that God used to recapture my affection and to seal my obedience and my life for him. It was the truth that Jesus rewards his faithful that moved me to repentance and to serving God. So I would ask you carefully and closely listen as we look at the next crown in the crowned series. We are in crown number two. All five of them are the Greek word stephanos. They are, that word means crown. And all five of these are rewards that Jesus will give to faithful followers. And today we're going to look at the crown of rejoicing. I hope you have your Bibles open, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at what the ESV calls the crown of boasting. I'll explain that. It means the crown of, joy, of, of rejoicing. Here's what it says again. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. 
Now, again, this might be a little bit puzzling at first because the name of the crown here in this translation is crown of boasting. And that is an entirely negative word in our culture. There's really nothing positive that gets attached to the word boasting. But that's not the way it was in the original language. Now, let me remind you, the New Testament is translated into English mostly from Greek with just a little bit of Aramaic. It translates the Old Testament from the Hebrew language, okay? So we're in the Greek language, New Testament. And that word boasting in the Greek means rejoicing. It means the exuberant expression of joy. So what is going to be our crown of rejoicing should you gain it? What will be your crown of exuberant, lively expressions of joy? Now think of a sports team for a moment. Huddled in the locker room after winning the championship, holding the trophy, jumping and cheering. And there might be some on that team that might be arrogant, thinking you're better than everybody else, but mainly I'll tell you what they're doing. They are cheering, they are rejoicing exuberantly. They endured the grind of the long season. Amidst all of the stiff competition, they emerged victorious. They are full of joy, full of happiness. And what we have here written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, that's a city. What we have here besides the name of this crown is actually a question. Look at your text. This is why you need to have it open. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Ends with a question mark. This is a rhetorical question. Rhetorical means it's when somebody asks you a question, they're not really waiting for you to answer it. They're about to answer it immediately. Paul's going to do that. So he says, he gives the answer to his own question. And the answer is this. Is it not you? All right, well, just in case you're not quite getting this, let me back up. Let me try it again. Here's the question. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Here's the answer. Is it not you? He's writing to the church in the city of Thessalonica. He says, you are our glory and joy. You are our crown of rejoicing. Friends, this is incredible. This is wild. There is a crown that Jesus is going to give to Silas and I, Paul says. That's his partner in ministry. And that crown that he's going to give to us is you. You see, the crown of boasting, the crown of rejoicing, it's not a golden crown. It's not a crown made of perfect metal. It's not a crown woven together from unwilting myrtle branches or pine or oak. This crown, this crown is made up of souls, one to the Lord, because someone faithfully, courageously shared the gospel. They shared the good news of salvation. This is why it's called the soul winner's crown. And let me be utterly clear and leave nothing to your imagination. If you're going to receive this crown from the hand of our Savior, Jesus Christ, it will be because you led people to salvation in Jesus. 
It's called the soul winner's crown, the crown of evangelism. It will be Christ's reward for those who fearlessly declare the gospel to the unsaved. Notice the pronouns in our verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You see the three times the word our? He's meaning this. I'm the main preacher, Paul says. I am the one that's doing most of the teaching. In fact, we never really see Silas. There's nothing recorded about Silas preaching, although I'm sure he did. But Silas and Timothy were his ministry partners. But they all expected to receive this crown. Because they all labor together to bring unsaved people to salvation. You see, Paul is saying, you don't need to be the main preacher. You don't need to be the one in the pulpit. You don't need to actually even be the one speaking. You've got people helping you. You've got people with you. And they can expect to receive this crown as well. You see, this is the crown for those who share the gospel. And whether it's from your efforts alone or yours and another's or many, if that person uh, returns to faith in Christ, you played a part in that with your obedience. You were a part of what eventually brought that person to Jesus. You were a faithful witness, a servant through whom that person believed. Well, what do you mean through whom that person believed? Well, look on the screen and you'll understand what I mean. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Well, here's his answer again, another rhetorical question. Servants through whom you believed. Do you want to know if you're going to receive this crown? Well, just simply ask yourself, are there, are there people through you who are learning to believe in Jesus. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now you might be saying, well, Pastor Tim, I keep sharing Jesus with unbelievers, but no one, no one ever comes to faith. Well, my answer to you is be faithful, pray. Keep sharing. One day you're going to receive this crown, and that crown of your rejoicing will be the very ones to whom you told about Jesus who ended up coming to saving faith. Now, I'm going to take you forward into eternity for a moment. And I want you to picture right now in your mind the face of somebody that you love so much but who is not a believer. Can you all do that? Let's all do that. Picture in your mind... The face of someone that you truly love who is not a believer. And your love for that person moves you to testify to them, to be a witness of Jesus, to tell them of the good news of salvation through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you begin to water, listen, you begin to water those seeds, you begin to water them with your tears, as you cry, as you weep, as you pray for them, pleading for God to save them. 
You want to know what that looks like? Go to Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is not really fundamentally about agriculture and wheat and grain and barley. It's about winning people to Jesus. And you can see in that psalm the crown of rejoicing. And my question for you, are you desiring it greatly? Do you want to receive this crown? Well, I told you I was going to take you into the future. So let me take you into eternity. I want you to allow me to imagine a scene unfolding. This is just imagination, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes something like this. But let me imagine with you for a moment... Is everybody listening? Every single human being who has ever lived will one day stand before the great white throne judgment upon which Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting. The Father has given to him all authority to judge and Jesus will separate the throng of humanity, the multitudes of humanity. He will put on his left. Let me picture the throne facing you, and you're in that throng. He will put on his left all who rejected him as the Lord and Savior of their lives. And then he will put the billions and billions and billions of human beings, all who accepted him, all who believed in him for the forgiveness of their sins, he will put them on his right. So now we've got on his left unbelievers, what the Bible calls goats, and we've got on his right believers, what the Bible calls sheep. And Jesus calls the name of a person who's written into the Lamb's book of life, that means they are coming from the right side, from the sheep, from the believers. And he calls that person up to stand before his throne, and you're all going to, we're all going to see this. This will be publicly done. So I want you to picture that person, if I could just enlist your imagination, coming up towards the throne, Stepping forward to where Jesus is, and you're in the throng. If you're a believer, you're on his right, and it dawns on you. Something looks familiar about that person, but you cannot place the name. That person gets to the throne, and I want you to imagine with me. Ready? Are you listening? That person gets to the throne... And Jesus turns his head, and his eyes look right at you. And he invites you to come up and stand with this person. And you walk up, and when you see her, it could be a guy, it could be a girl, you see her, she sees you, and she throws her arms around you, and with tears, 
tells you how you shared with her the good news that God would forgive her of her sins if she would only but believe on Jesus. She believed and tears are falling down her face. And you, you have tears coming down your face because you never knew that God used you in that way. You never saw her come to faith. But she is standing there that day because of your faithfulness. And with a smile on his face and joy in his eyes, Jesus looks at you and he says, here is your reward. Here is your crown of rejoicing. Can you imagine that day? And if you are faithful and generously sowing the seeds of the gospel, if you are faithful in testifying of Jesus, if you are faithful in telling unbelievers about salvation in Christ, you're likely going to find she's not your only crown. But there's one more thing that I want to teach you, and this message is joy upon joy upon joy. What an interesting verse we find in Philippians chapter 4, and it goes like this. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. No church financially helped me. Uh, in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Do you know what Paul is saying? The church of Philippi supported Paul and Silas and Timothy financially so that they could proclaim the gospel in the city of Thessalonica and partner with them in their great work of evangelism. And let me tell you what the words of Jesus is saying to the church at Philippi. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous wealth, that means the money of this world, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now let me take you into the future again. And let me have a little imagination. But I want you to lay it to heart. Your earthly life is over. You lived your life. And human history is completed. And the great day of judgment has arrived. And if you have believed on Jesus for your salvation, you are standing before him. You are righteous. You are justified, meaning you are declared to be innocent. You're declared to be forgiven and holy and right with God. Why? Because you believed in Jesus. His death became your death. His life became your life. You are declared right with God. You have peace with him. And you are about to be called before the throne, the great white throne, and Jesus is about to call your name. And it's not because you're going to find out your destination. That's already secure. You're a child of God. You will have no fear in that day. You will have no trepidation. You will have no anxiety. You're about to receive your reward. Because by the power of God, you lived out the life of Christ in good deeds. 
He calls you to come stand before him and again in view of everyone because judgment will be public and he will, de- he will be glorified in you. And books are going to be opened and those books will chronicle all of what you did, all of what you say. Listen, even every careless word that we say will be captured in his books. We've got to be careful. And you're going to watch some of those works burn up because they were not done for God's glory. They were not done in God's grace. They were not done out of love. They were done out of your own selfish glory. They're going to burn up. But other works are going to withstand the fire of Christ's judgment and they're going to shine like gold. And you're going to see that that financial gift that allowed an addict to get to a Christ-centered treatment center and find salvation in Jesus, you're going to see that one brought back to you. And you're going to see that your financial support for that missionary who helped hundreds of people get saved, that's going to come back to you by way of reward. You're going to see that the generosity that you had for that ministry that took the gospel to places that you cannot go, is going to come back to you. And you're going to look to Jesus and you're going to see a smile on his face because you're about to be surprised. You're about to be surprised. He's going to welcome you into your eternal dwellings. As you enter, listen, allow me to be imagination, have my imagination, but I think it's tethered pretty closely to the Bible. As you enter those eternal dwellings, you're going to be walking on streets of gold, and you're going to see a crowd of people looking at you and beginning to cheer for you. What is this, you wonder? Until someone tells you that all of those people cheering for you are in in heaven because you gave your monies, you gave your generosity, you gave your time to support ministries that declared the gospel. You have made friends for eternity, and they will never, ever stop thanking you. Christian, do you want to receive the crown of rejoicing? Do you want to receive the crown of boasting? This crown, it's not going to glitter with gold. It's not going to glitter with gold that will shine with the redeemed that you shared the message of hope with and they responded in faith. This crown, unique from the other four, this crown alone is made up of people. And I hope you want it. I hope you incredibly are motivated by this message. And there's one simple way to gain this crown for your reward. Make your feet beautiful. Well, what does that mean? Romans 10 tells us, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him until unless someone tells them? And how will anybody go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Well, there is no news better than that God loves you, that he can save you, 
that he can and will forgive you of all of your sins if you but cry out to him and you ask him for salvation. You will be saved. And if you are the one to deliver that good news, my friend, you will receive this crown. See, the purpose of feet is to move us. So let your feet move you to those who need to hear about the love of God and the forgiveness that can be found in Jesus' Son. Sow the seeds of the gospel. Sow the seeds of the gospel everywhere you go. And Christian, you will one day stand before Jesus. He will come down off that throne and he will point out to you your crown of rejoicing and you will have made friends for eternity. What a crown and what a day that will be. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would see the beauty of this crown. I pray that we would desire this crown. I pray that we would be motivated for this crown, to have this crown. And that we would be incredibly understanding and clear that the way to receive this crown is to share the, the good news of the gospel. Lord, to tell people how they could be saved. Father, this is one of the areas, as you know, that the church, the modern church in America is its weakest. But Lord, we have unbelievers, we have unsaved, we have those desperately looking to find the love of God all around us. And we carry the message for them. Father, let us be the delivery system. Let us tell people about your great love and how you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross, to be raised from that grave so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Lord, send our feet in motion. And may we one day so gladly Receive the crown of rejoicing. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.